My name is Andrew Bustamante, and this is Everyday Espionage. Today, Operation Real-Time completes. Many started, a few finished, but my hope is that everyone learned something new. Something new about espionage, something new about history, something new about themselves. I promised an operation that exercised what we had learned in Season 1. From my end, I saw folks that were doing exactly that. I saw people differentiating between information and knowledge. I saw people breaking rules. I saw people filtering through the noise. I saw people exploring new perspectives and abandoning their perceptions. And I saw people taking just enough time to recover before jumping right back into the next task in the operation. Now, whether you learned something or not, I am very excited because I learned a ton. I learned that everyday people can absolutely be taught to do extraordinary things. The operation proved it. The mission proved it. And I learned that in the absence of information, people can still make good decisions. I realized, I learned in this Operation Real-Time exercise that everyday espionage is working. It's teaching people to think differently. It's teaching people to function in a world without certainties. It is making everyday spies. Spies that are taking control in their life. Spies that are realizing they don't have to do what other people tell them to do. They can think and act for themselves. Now, if you're still working through Operation Real-Time, or if you're new to the podcast and you want to try Operation Real-Time on your own, everything you need is online. Operation Real-Time was designed intentionally so that it would live on even after the real-time portion of the operation. So just go out, look on any platform for hashtag Operation Real-Time, all one word. You'll see it all coming from at Everyday Spy, my own social media handle. And you'll be able to go all the way back in time to the beginning, jump to the future, and just do anything you want to within the operation itself. I encourage you to visit the Everyday Espionage subreddit on Reddit and start there. It is a powerful key resource and one that I under-anticipated when I initially rolled it out. I thought that Reddit would be a great place for discussion, but it turns out that some Everyday Spies out there recognized that Reddit was a powerful resource to consolidate information. So even even more than the podcast or the website or any other place that I put out there to consolidate information, the mega thread for Operation Real-Time on Reddit puts it all to shame. And that was an everyday person who realized the power that Reddit had. Now, full transparency, the rest of this episode is going to jump into the details of Operation Real-Time. It's going to spoil the fun for anybody out there who's getting ready to execute or still in the middle of executing. So if you don't want to have the mission spoiled, 
If you don't want to have the ending ruined, stop listening to this episode now. Turn me off. Put it on save. Come back after you're done with the other aspects of the mission because I don't want to ruin it for you. Okay, so for the rest of you who are still on with me, let's go ahead and let's jump into the details of the operation because I know you've been waiting for it. Operation Realtime had three objectives. First, we wanted to keep secret communications with a covert asset in the north. The second objective was to successfully identify key intelligence. And the third objective was to figure out the real-world historic espionage case reflected in Operation Realtime. It seems like Operation Realtime was one big spy story. And, and that's a little bit by intention. Because spy stories are fun, and they're compelling, and they're interesting. But more than that, there is so much to be learned when you look at our world through the eyes of a spy. Because all of the techniques and the tactics, the applications, the exercises that real-life spies go through every day are parallel to what we all do in our everyday lives. The greatest risks to spies are actually everyday risks, the things that threaten them in terms of their cover, their operational success, their ability to communicate and blend in, all of those threats come in the shape of everyday activities. Something as simple as being pulled over by a police officer or having an unexpected emergency that lands you in urgent care. To a spy, these are risks. These are, are threats that could undermine an entire operation. That's why we looked at Operation Real Time through the eyes of a real-world spy case. Now, Objective 1 required every participant to learn a few new skills. We had to learn a traditional ciphering method. We had to learn how to execute manual encryption and decryption of communications. We had to learn how to say as much as possible in as few words as possible, because every word had to be encrypted and every word had to be decrypted. And when you're doing that manually, you realize that there's no room for wasted words, and there's no room for confused jargon or confused terminology. But why? Why Why spend so much time learning an old cipher that really isn't even in use today? Well, the reason why I wanted us to start with that objective was because it taught us the importance of being open to learning and practicing a new skill. And practice is a powerful filter. It's a powerful filter in espionage and in everyday life. People who practice show that they have commitment. People who practice show that they have adaptability. It demonstrates whether someone's ego is in check or in charge. I hate being bad at things. My wife hates being bad at things. But every time you try something new, you're going to be bad at it for a while. There are only a few natural talents out there. I am not one of them. So I have to learn and accept That if I'm going to take on a new skill, I have to be willing to accept the discomfort that comes with being bad at it for a little while and trust that the practice will pay off in the long run. Practice is a filter. And just like we have to filter water or filter air to take out toxins and take out waste, the same is true about filtering 
our own lives. If you want to achieve something great, you have to be deliberate about what and who you let into your environment. You have to have a filter. If you just let anyone or anything in, then you run the risk of being undermined or poisoned or or distracted or even deceived. But if you take the time to learn very specific things, and you take the time to practice how to master those few things, and you let other people into your world who are equally dedicated and committed to learning and practicing new things, all of a sudden your environment is rich and your environment is trustworthy, and your environment is something that you can use to grow instead of something that holds you back. Those unwilling to learn or practice will never keep pace with those willing to try and even fail. In Operation Real-Time, field officers had to build a relationship with their asset. They had to task, and they even had to work to protect that asset within and communicating through these short encrypted messages that we sent via Instagram. Instagram is a social media platform. It's totally public. It's open source. It has a billion users worldwide. That means that every encoded cipher text that the asset sent or that any participant sent was readily available to anyone who clicked on that post and read it. But I saw very few instances where any follower outside of the Operation Real-Time team actually asked about the encrypted text in someone's Instagram post. But why? Why did that happen? Did it happen because nobody saw the encryption? Did they see the encryption and just assume that it was a string of typos or errors? Or do you think that maybe people were just too embarrassed or shy to ask about this string of letters that they just didn't understand. I believe that we live in a world that reacts. We let doubt and fear override our natural curiosity. And I wonder how many people saw a coded Instagram message and thought to themselves, I wonder if that's an encrypted message, but then gave up the opportunity to contribute to the mission because they lacked the constitution to ask the question. Encrypted messages don't look anything like real-life messages. They don't look like typos. They don't look like spelling errors. They don't look like a mistake. They are a string of letters that constitute an encrypted message. It is crystal clear. But why would nobody ask? You see, the courage to ask questions is the key to being in control rather than being controlled. So when I look out on a history of people who have not asked questions, what conclusion comes to your mind about their lives? Are they in control or are they open to being controlled? I was extremely pleased with how the participants within Operation Real-Time worked through the messaging phase of the mission. For anyone out there who coded or decoded a message, well done. Even if you coded a message and it had a typo or an error, or if you struggled a few times to get through the video that taught you how to create a coded message, you still tried. You still practiced. That was the intent. That was the purpose of the first objective. And if you did not code or decode a message, it's not too late. You can go to hashtag Operation Real Time on Instagram. You'll find dozens of options 
dozens of pictures and comments where people tried or successfully encrypted a message and decrypted a message throughout Operation Realtime. Pick any one of those posts, take it for yourself, open it up, go to YouTube, check out my YouTube video on encrypting and decrypting using the cipher, and try it out. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You'll see very quickly how difficult it is to communicate in a cipher, to communicate with encryption, and how important it is to say things succinctly. Now, our second objective required that participants differentiate between information and intelligence. This was a challenge throughout Operation Real-Time, and it was, in, it was a challenge by intention. The operation had conflicting information. Information came through multiple channels, through multiple characters, through multiple users on multiple systems. There were variations in time and delivery and content channels. There were instances of good information, inf- instances of bad information. There was false information. There was even errant, unexpected errant information because I struggled to keep pace with the people out there who were consuming the challenge. So in this world of good, bad, fake, and wrong information, people had to learn how to make the right decision using the right information at the right time. That is real life. And I was blown away at how well people did exactly that. Finding the right decision, using it at the right time, I saw people able to filter through the noise, the noise that I intended and the noise that I never intended, so that they could still find the truth and execute their mission. This phase, the information phase, was easily the most complex and difficult of the three objectives. And it was the second objective that drove most of the mission attrition throughout Operation Real-Time. Let me give you some insights. I had nearly 300 candidates sign up through the website at Mission Kickoff to begin Operation Real-Time. By the end, there were only a few dozen still persevering. A few dozen out of 300 original candidates. That's less than 10%. Now, 90% attrition and more is totally common in elite training schools. Navy SEAL BUDS training has a washout rate that ranges anywhere from 60 to 90% or more. CIA, they only accept about 5% of applications. That means 95% of applicants are rejected. And Army Delta Forces, they have less than a 10% candidate pass rate. When you push yourself to the limit, you can expect attrition. And where many people see attrition to be a bad thing, I disagree, because I see attrition as a way of filtering out passion from interest, a way to drive achievement instead of apathy. Attrition inspires purpose. That's why I believe attrition is a good thing. I was successful at CIA. I recognize that I am coming from a unique perspective, but I need to share that it took a road of attrition to get me there. I still remember getting kicked out of Cub Scouts along with my dad when I was in elementary school. I quit Little League because I hated standing out in the outfield in the summertime in Pennsylvania. I barely graduated the Air Force Academy with a 2.4 GPA that I still carry with me everywhere I go. And it was every one of those attrition experiences that ultimately shaped 
who I am today. It is your own series of attrition experiences that shape who you are and more importantly help you discover who you want to be. Because when you recognize that attrition is actually an ally, you start to become fearless. Rejection, humiliation, and failure, they all lose their power in the face of recognizing that attrition is not a bad thing. When you can learn from the rejection, when you can learn from the humiliation, when you can learn from the failure that you're so afraid of, then that puts you at a distinct advantage over everybody else who's too afraid to try because they are too afraid of the rejection or the humiliation or that feeling of failure. The hero of Operation Real-Time, the inspiration behind the entire scenario, demonstrates exactly how powerful it is when you face your fear. And that hero is a woman named Rose O'Neill Greenhow, a woman nicknamed Wild Rose by her friends and family. And she was a Confederate civilian woman during the time of the Civil War. And finding Rose was the third and final objective in Operation Real-Time. Rose was a widowed Southern woman who found herself living in Washington, D.C., at the time that the U.S. Civil War broke out. She was a popular socialite because of her widowed husband before her, not because she herself was social. And because of that connection in those social circles that came from her husband, Rose was able to build, create, and run a ring of female informants who were connected to senior-ranking union politicians and military officers in Washington, D.C., Now, Rose staunchly believed in the Southern cause, and her loyalty to the Confederacy before and throughout the war earned her special recognition by Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy during the Civil War. Now, this episode won't be a detailed historical rendering of Rose's specific espionage case, but I do want to encourage you to check her out on your own. There's some really interesting YouTube videos, articles online, historical articles. There are some great books out there that will walk you through Rose and through every aspect of her story. But for this conversation, all I want to do is highlight a few important, relevant parallels. First, Rose communicated with her Southern handlers via a cipher, very much like the cipher that we used in our own operation. And Rose was passionately driven by her Southern ideology. So driven that even after her arrest, imprisonment, and interrogation by Northern forces, she still found ways to send encrypted messages with key intelligence to her handling officer in the South. She never gave up. The most significant aspect of Rose's story is that she, an everyday spy, single-handedly ensured that the Confederacy survived the first direct invasion of the South by the North. You see, without Wild Rose Greenhow, there would have been no Confederate victory at Bull Run. There would have been no Battle of First Manassas. And that could very well have meant 
that there was no civil war at all. In many ways, Rose and her work as an everyday spy gave the Confederate States the chance that they needed to fight for their cause. Now, whether you see Rebel Rose as a hero or a traitor, the fact remains that this one brave woman with an unwavering conviction and an unparalleled creativity changed the face of our nation. That kind of impact doesn't come from a degree. It doesn't come from approval from someone else. It doesn't come from a title or a salary. It comes from believing that you have the power to shape the world. And then going out and doing it. And that is Everyday Espionage. Everyday Espionage is dedicated to one thing educating everyday people. I know that not everybody will listen, but those who listen will learn. If you learned something new today, click subscribe, review, and share the podcast with a friend. I have so much more to share with you. Find me on social media at Everyday Spy or on my website, www.everydayspy.com. And if you are up for a special challenge, check out Operation Real Time and let me take you on an authentic spy training mission. Above all else, remember that knowledge is freedom.